Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. Well, good morning. It feels good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Those of you who are here in the sanctuary up on the balcony, good to see you. Those in the commons, those who are joining us via the live stream, especially our brothers and sisters in warm climates today. And, uh, and I think, too, of our, our, our church family who are just uh, physically unable to be with us today. Just know that you are not forgotten. We love you. We are thinking of you today. Uh, to all of us, welcome to First Baptist Church. Uh, Christy and I are back from a quick trip to California. We got to see our son, Josh, and our daughter-in-law, Natalie. And we got to go up and visit with our, our, our church friends in Ojai, California. But it is good to be back with you today. There's no place like home. Amen. And uh, also back to preaching. But before we dive into the sermon today, a couple of important announcements. First of all, um, can you believe Easter is three weeks from today? Yeah, it's sneaking up on us. And that means also that our Monday, Thursday service on Thursday, April the 6th at 7 p.m., my favorite service of the year. You hear me say that often because it's true. It's a night in which we commemorate the Last Supper. It's an intimate service of worship, of communion and prayer. Um, And then just a couple days after that, of course, we'll be uh, here packing the place for our Easter Sunday celebration. The theme is Made New, How Easter Changes Everything. And just to give you a heads up, those of you who have kids, on that day, children will spend the entirety of the service at FBC Kids. That'll help us to free up some extra seats and give a little bit of breathing room. And of course, I can think of no better way to celebrate Resurrection Sunday than with baptisms. Uh, Because I truly believe baptism is the ultimate Easter drama. It's what connects all the dots. And uh, so we have several baptisms scheduled already, but there is definitely room for more. And so if you have sensed the Holy Spirit nudging you, convicting you, saying, hey, this is your next step of obedience on your spiritual journey, uh, we want to help you take that next step. And so please don't hesitate to contact me, the church office, and we will help you to do so. We would love to fill up this tub and fill it with lots of baptisms on Easter Sunday. So today, please turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. We're going to begin with verse 23 and go through chapter 3, verse 6. Mark 2, 23 through 3, 6. How many of you ever heard the saying, don't poke the skunk? (laughs) Funny story. Ben, sorry. (laughs) Um, Ben Reitz, Jim Walker being good stewards of not burning unnecessary gasoline, walked to church for an elder meeting one night, walked home, and got sprayed by a skunk. So tell me that's not the devil, right? A couple elders getting sprayed by a skunk doing the Lord's work. Um, What does it mean, don't poke the skunk? It means, you know, don't needlessly provoke, don't stir up unnecessary controversy, just leave well enough alone. Well, in today's passage, Jesus is going to poke the skunk of Sabbath legalism. In today's passage, Jesus is going to poke the skunk of Sabbath legalism. He's going to directly challenge the Jewish religious leaders and their oppressive application of the Mosaic law. They put crushing burdens upon people all in the name of religion 
And Jesus is going to challenge that. He's going to poke the skunk of Sabbath legalism. So would you please stand with me as I read the text? Uh, We do this just out of reverence and acknowledging that this is the Word of God. And so let me read it for us today. Mark chapter 2, beginning with verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, we ask for your help this morning. Um, This text brings up a lot of cultural things and um, help us to know how they apply to us today. Um, It also gets at the the heart of our pride, our self-righteousness. So God, would you bring conviction where it is needed? Would you bring encouragement and hope where it is needed? And God, at the end of the day, we long to hear your voice. So speak to us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today's text, it raises three questions for us to consider. Three questions. Number one is, what is the Sabbath? Number two, what was the controversy? And number three, what does this have to do with us today? Always important for us to get to the heart of application. So what is the Sabbath? What was the controversy? What does this have to do with us today? So let's look at the first of these three questions. What is the Sabbath? Our text begins, one Sabbath. And so both in the end of Mark chapter 2 section and the beginning of Mark chapter 3, we are confronted with Sabbath. That Hebrew word Shabbat, it literally means to rest, to rest, to cease, to desist. And as we look at the scriptures in their entirety, they tell us two main things about the Sabbath. First of all, the Sabbath is God's design for creation. The Sabbath is God's design for creation. We first encounter that word Sabbath back in Genesis chapter 2, long before Moses received the law. In the Genesis 2, in the account of creation, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So I want you to see this. This is important first and foremost. The whole idea of a Sabbath day of rest is part of the very fabric of God's creation. 
Let me say it again. The whole idea of a Sabbath day of rest is part of the very fabric of God's creation. It's, it's part of creation's DNA. It's how creation is meant to function. You've probably heard the saying, almost everything will work again if you unplug it for a few minutes, including you. True? That's my, that's my computer expertise in a nutshell right there. Doesn't work, unplug it, plug it back in, and it's true. Lo and behold, many, many times it ends up working after all, and that is true of us as well. Why? Well, because God made us that way. We were made to unplug on a regular basis. It was God's design for his creation. So Sabbath is God's design for creation, but Sabbath is also God's law for Jews. Sabbath is God's law for Jews. It is the fourth of the Ten Commandments, and we read in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, in the giving of those commandments, God says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So in a nutshell, what was the point of the Sabbath? Rest. Exactly what the word literally means. Rest. Cease from your labors. Unplug. And please note, that's all that it says. The scriptures themselves give very little prescription for how to practice a Sabbath rest. It just says, do so. Unplug. Cease work. Rest. And so please file that away for just a bit later because it's going to be really important. Well, it should be noted that Sabbath keeping was also to be a distinguishing mark for God's people, the Jews, in the Old Testament. Listen to what he says in Exodus 31, 16. It says, therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And so this whole idea of resting one day out of seven was, in a sense, revolutionary in the world at that time. It was different than all the other nations, and so it made God's people stand out. They were Sabbath-keeping people, and it was a reflection of their covenant relationship with God. And so with that in mind, that Sabbath is God's design for creation, it is God's law for Jews, it all is pretty simple, right? What could be controversial about this? Don't work one day out of seven. Well, that leads to question two. What was the controversy? What was the skunk that Jesus was intentionally poking? Well, you remember that the Jews had some leaders known as Pharisees, and they were every bit as much fun as they appear in this picture. <laughs> right? You want to hang, hang out with them for a weekend? That word Pharisee, it comes from the Aramaic word parasia, which literally means separated. Separate. The Pharisees were all concerned about separation, which, to be honest with you, is not a bad idea or goal for God's people. Even in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 6.17, which is a reference to Isaiah 52.11, that he's separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and then I will welcome you. So 
Old Testament, New Testament, the point of the matter is we are called to be separate from that which is sinful, separate from that which is unclean. We are called to be holy. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. That is a very noble goal that each one of us should strive for. However, the Pharisees pursued holiness through man-made legalism. The Pharisees pursued holiness through man-made legalism. Lots and lots and lots and lots of rules. All of these rules were codified in something called the Talmud. And in the Talmud, there were, if you get this, this is crazy, 24 chapters focusing on Sabbath regulations. 24 chapters focusing on Sabbath regulation. Now, again, what did the Bible have to say about Sabbath? Rest. All right, well, they had 24 chapters to tell you how you had to rest, things that you could and could not do on the Sabbath. And they are pretty interesting. Uh, For example, you could carry nothing heavier than a dead fig. Um, No bathing was allowed on the Sabbath. Why? Because water might spill onto the floor, which means you were accidentally washing it, which was work. You could not move furniture, even a chair, in a house that had a dirt floor. Why? Well, because you were plowing. You were plowing, which was work. And this one is uh, important to our text today. A person was not allowed to travel more than 3,000 feet from home, or another way to look at it was 1,999 steps. How many of you keep track of your steps in a day? That's kind of a thing right now, right? Whether your phone or whatever. Um, They kept track of their steps, but for a different reason. You're trying to get as many as you can. And for them, if they had like iPhones in their day, they would have been keeping track to make sure they weren't breaking a Sabbath rule. You know, they can't go more than 1,999 steps. Well, as you can imagine, all of these man-made rules placed a crushing weight on the people. Constantly looking over their shoulder. Am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? What am I supposed to do? I um, feel guilty. I feel I, I did it wrong here. People always looking at each other and accusing each other. It was terrible. It was a weight that God never intended. And so in contrast to all this legalistic nonsense, Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, he said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. See, that's the context in which Jesus gave this this, this invitation was that all that legalism, that heavy weight of spiritual burden. So in contrast to that, Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Well, clearly the burden that the Pharisees were placing on the Jews was anything but light. It was crushing. It led to spiritual bondage, which was the opposite of what Jesus intended. It was the opposite of what God intended with the Sabbath. And so this is why Jesus was intentionally poking the skunk of Sabbath legalism. And he did so by creating two controversies. He did this on purpose. Controversy number one had to do with eating. In chapter 2, verses 23 through 28, it had to do with eating. Look with me again at verse 23. It says, One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Question. Was Jesus and his disciples, were Jesus and his disciples, breaking any biblical law regarding the Sabbath? 
They were not. Because what was the biblical law? Don't work. Rest, okay? They're going for a walk and plucking a couple heads of grain, okay? They are not breaking any biblical law. Are they working? No. However, are they guilty of breaking any of the man-made Jewish laws regarding the Sabbath? (laughs) The kind found in the 24 chapters regarding the Sabbath and the Talmud. Yes, they are in at least two ways. First of all, they are guilty of taking more than 1,999 steps, all right? But, But notice this, okay? Don't miss this. Um, in order for the Pharisees to have witnessed this, what must they also have done? Take 1,999 steps. You see, the Pharisees have made themselves the Sabbath police. And they will do anything necessary, even break their own rules, to catch Jesus in breaking their rules. And so you can see why Jesus would be so brazen as to call them hypocrites. Because they clearly were. The second way that Jesus and his disciples were guilty of breaking the man-made Sabbath rules was in regard to farming. Check this out. Um, When they picked a few heads of grain, they were technically guilty of several things. Harvesting, okay? And when they rubbed the heads of grain together in order to get rid of the chaff so that they could eat the kernel, um, that was winnowing and threshing. And when put all together, they were also guilty of preparing a meal, So they took too many steps, they farmed, and they prepared a meal all in the course of picking a head of grain on a walk, which is ridiculous, right? Well, Jesus responds to all of this ridiculousness by exposing the faulty thinking of the Pharisees. He attacks them in these three areas. First of all, he exposes their faulty thinking in regard to God's priorities, God's priorities. What truly matters to God? And he turns it on its head. Look at verse 25. Jesus said to them, to the Pharisees, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. So, how did Jesus answer the Pharisees and the accusation against him? He, he plays the King David card. And King David was a great hero to the Pharisees. He was held in very, very high esteem. And so Jesus reminds them of the occasion from 1 Samuel 21 when David did something very un-Pharisee-like. Saul was hotly pursuing David, determined to kill him, which meant that David and his men were literally running for their lives. They were low on provisions. They were faint with hunger. And in this desperate situation, they went into the tabernacle and they ate something called the bread of the presence. Now, if you've been with us for a while now and you remember our uh, study of the tabernacle, you remember the, the table of showbread and those 12 sacred loaves that would be placed upon it that only the priests were permitted to eat at the end of the week before they put the new loaves on the bread on the table. But on this exceptional occasion, when people were faint with hunger, David and his men ate the sacred bread. And you know what? They were not judged for doing so. They were not judged for doing so. And so Jesus confronts the Pharisees with the question, hey, when it comes to God's priorities, especially as we look at this David story, which is greater, keeping rules or preserving life? Which is greater? Which are God's priorities? Now, the Pharisees would likely have said, oh, keeping rules, of course. But here Jesus corrects them and demonstrates that as far as God is concerned, preserving life is a far greater priority than keeping rules. 
which is exactly why Jesus said to the mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. And so Jesus exposes the faulty thinking of the Pharisees in regard to God's priorities, which were different than the priorities of the Pharisees, but he also exposes their faulty thinking in regard to the Sabbath. Look at verse 27. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That's a mouthful. Jesus says a lot in that one sentence. But really, he means that the Sabbath was never, never, never meant to be the burden that the Pharisees had made it. Rather, it was meant to be a gift. It was meant to be a blessing. Imagine your employer coming to you and saying, take the day off. How'd you feel about that? Oh, you'd feel awesome. That's what God has done 52 times in a year. Take the day off. Rest. He knows that you need the rest. And so he has programmed it for us, which is pretty awesome when you think about it. And it tells us something about the loving, caring, nurturing nature of our God, that he has programmed into creation for us rest. And so... Jesus exposes the faulty thinking of the Pharisees in regard to God's priorities, in regard to the Sabbath. It was never meant to be a burden. It was meant to be a gift. But also, Jesus exposes their faulty thinking in regard to Jesus, the identity of Jesus. Look at verse 28. Jesus says, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, Jesus calling himself Son of Man is very significant and would have absolutely pushed the Pharisees over the edge. Because you see, that title, Son of Man, comes from Daniel chapter 7, and in that context, it is clearly a title of divinity. And so when Jesus uses it for himself, Son of Man, he's claiming to be God, the God who created all things, including the Sabbath. So he is the Son of Man, he is God, he is the creator of all things, which includes the Sabbath, meaning that he is Lord of the Sabbath. And so putting it all together, you've got the Pharisees who are arguing with the creator of the Sabbath about what should happen on the Sabbath. Well, as far as the Pharisees were concerned, this was pure blasphemy and deserving of death. When Jesus called himself Son of Man and Lord of the Sabbath, he crossed the line, and it was that line that would ultimately lead to his death. And so Jesus exposes their faulty thinking in regard to God's priorities, Sabbath, and also Jesus. But as we know, Jesus is not done poking the skunk of Sabbath legalism. He goes on at the beginning of chapter 3 doing it again with a second controversy, this time a controversy in regard to healing, in regard to healing. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. The, the Greek word withered there, it is um, a word used of dead plants that have dried up and wasted away, suggesting that this man's hand was neurologically incapacitated. And in, interestingly, in Luke's account of this story, Luke, because he's always into extra details, he says it was the man's right hand. How many of you are right-handed? Okay, how many of you are left-handed, wrong-handed, right? I mean, most of us are right-handed. So when it speaks of the fact, Luke speaks of the fact that it was the man's right hand, it further stresses the man's plight. He was likely right-handed by the percentages. And there's even an old tradition that suggests that this man was a stonemason who had lost his ability to work and was now reduced to begging. Whatever his story, the man was desperate and he was suffering and there was some thought that this was even a trap 
laid by the Pharisees, that they intentionally planted this man in the synagogue on the Sabbath to trap Jesus into breaking their man-made laws of the Sabbath by healing. You say, well, how could healing break a Sabbath rule? Well, the rule was this. You could do nothing to improve a person's condition. You could um, give life-saving aid to kind of bring them up to a baseline of not dying, but you couldn't, you couldn't do anything to improve their situation. Yeah, exactly. Well, what do you think Jesus is going to do in this situation? We read in verse 3, And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill it? But they were silent. And of course they were. What could they say? If they spoke honestly... They would be exposed as being the heartless legalists that they truly were. If they gave permission for Jesus to heal, they would endorse him and his rejection of their man-made rules. So they said nothing, which interestingly lit a fire in Jesus. Look at verse 5. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Now, it's interesting. There are a couple of occasions in the Gospels where we see that Jesus is angry. Can you think of one? Uh, The cleansing of the temple. But this is the only place where in a Gospel text it specifically states that Jesus was angry. Ought to get our attention, I believe, right? Because what was it that made Jesus angry? Heartless, legalistic religiosity that oppresses others. Religion that cares more about man-made rules than about people. And don't lose sight of the fact that when Jesus did get angry, when he cleansed the temple, when he's angry with the Pharisees, who's he angry with? Religious people. Religious people. Well, how would the Pharisees react to this? We read in verse 6, The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Um, How mad were the Pharisees? They made an alliance with some of their enemies, the Herodians. Um, Remember, the the Pharisees were all about um, separatism. They were all about separatism. The Herodians, though, were secular Jews who supported King Herod and therefore the Romans. Pharisees and Herodians, not on the same page. They're enemies in most instances, but not in this one. The Herodian, we see why the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus, but the Herodians wanted to kill Jesus because as the popularity of Jesus grew, they perceived it to be a threat to Herod, therefore to Rome, and Jesus would therefore be threatening the peaceful status quo of that day that they were thriving in. So we see right here the seeds of crucifixion being planted. So Jesus has made enemies now with the Pharisees and the Herodians by poking the skunk of Sabbath legalism. So let's review where we've been. Two controversies. Number one was eating. Number two was healing. Let's move on to that third and final question. What does this have to do with us today? And I believe there are at least three things that this text prescribes for us. First, reject the self-righteousness of legalism. Reject the self-righteousness of legalism. It is so, so easy for us to become judgmental Pharisees. And I think it's safe to say that in our pride, we are even drawn to this. 
Um, Daniel Aiken, in his commentary, he said it this way. I thought it was a really, really profound quote. Two slides. Listen carefully. He said, few things are more destructive, seductive, and deceptive to a true and vital relationship with God than the deadly poison of legalism. It is destructive because it breeds death rather than life. It is destructive because it has a natural allure for the flesh that causes us to look to ourselves rather than to Christ for our spiritual status before God. It is deceptive because it makes us think we are the spiritual elite when actually we are spiritual slaves. Legalism is raising to the level of biblical mandate and command what God has neither commanded nor prohibited in his word. It is taking our traditions and preferences and imposing them on others as an act of spiritual superiority, even though the Bible does not make such practices universally prescriptive. Legalism is characterized by looking for the shortcomings in others rather than in oneself. It looks for what is wrong in someone else's life in order to criticize and condemn them rather than what is right in order to commend and encourage them. It reinforces feelings of spiritual superiority and elitism that are man-centered rather than Christ-centered. It focuses on external behavior rather than the internal issues of the heart. How many of you have seen the, the movie Jesus Revolution that's come out recently? Lots of you. I've heard lots of good reports about that. Um, there is a bit in this movie about the depiction of self-righteous pharisaical legalism, is there not? When the long-haired hippies come to church. And what was the congregation initially concerned about when they came? The carpet. The carpet. They didn't want the carpet to get dirty, and they were concerned about how these new folks in the church were dressing. Again, those are classic pharisaical responses. You know, there was a time, and thankfully a time passed, when I would hear about one of our well-intentioned but misguided saints who would take it upon themselves to inform someone that it was inappropriate to worship with a hat on. True story. I don't think it's happened in quite a while, but I know that it has happened. And can I just say, please don't do that. Your conviction about hats in worship is man-made and cultural. It's not biblical. And you know that you know what happens when you confront hat wearers in worship? You will have no hat wearers in worship, which I believe grieves the heart of God. And the, the hat wearing, I think, can be emblematic and symbolic of many, many different things raises an important question for all of us, which is, in what ways am I tempted to demonstrate pharisaical legalism? You know, we all, I think, bring with us a lot of baggage from our childhoods, a lot of stuff and things that maybe we were taught, that we were modeled, that aren't necessarily biblical. And those things have just become a part of us as adults. I think it's important that we examine those and say, where's that in the Bible? Or is that something that was made up? So, um, number two, what does this have to do with us today? After we reject the self-righteousness of legalism, we must receive the Jesus righteousness of the gospel. We must receive the Jesus righteousness of the gospel. The Pharisees were all about trying to earn righteousness, but the gospel is the opposite. It's about receiving righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus, as it says in Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not by your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Salvation is a free gift of God to be received by faith. It is by the righteousness of Jesus and not our own righteousness that we are saved. 
But we must not lose sight of the fact that we are then called to live in his righteousness. Okay, so this is not a license to sin. This is not saying that holiness is not important. For verse 10 goes on in Ephesians 2 to say, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So please don't walk out of here today thinking that this sermon, is a, that this sermon against legalism gives you a license to sin because that could not be further from the truth. Rather, the sermon is a call to a biblical gospel in which we rest in the righteousness of Christ rather than our own, which then in turn leads us to live out our faith in obedience to God's word, which results in the fruit of holiness. But our salvation is not by our righteousness. It is only by the righteousness of Jesus. So reject the self-righteousness of legalism. Receive the righteousness, the Jesus righteousness of the gospel. Number three, reclaim the God righteousness of the Sabbath. Reclaim the God righteousness of the Sabbath. And then this one is admittedly tricky. And you'll read a lot. Of, inevitably, you'll be able to send me an email this week and saying, well, MacArthur said this, or so-and-so said this, or whoever said this. And there's a lot of discussion about what the Sabbath means for us today. This is my take, okay? Um, we are not Jews, right? We are Gentiles. And therefore, it is my position that we are not under the law of the Sabbath, we are not mandated to observe Sabbath from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Now, there are believers today who believe that, right? Seventh-day Adventists, you probably have some friends that are Seventh-day Adventists. They worship on Saturday. Saturday, they're very intentional and um, particular about how they observe the Sabbath. Also, you need to be aware of this. There is a movement, a growing movement about Jewish roots and believers who will teach you and tell you that, you know what, we really as Gentile believers need to return to Jewish roots of the feasts and the festivals and the Sabbath and doing all these things, and we're living in disobedience if we don't do those things. Anybody familiar with that at all? You've encountered that? It's, 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 it's out there, and it's, it's a growing movement. But the Apostle Paul, he addressed this long ago, long ago, when he wrote to Gentiles like you and me at the church in Colossae, this is what he wrote in Colossians 2.16. He said, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. His point, as believing Gentiles, don't cave to the pressure to live under the Mosaic law, including the Sabbath. Don't be shamed into thinking that you are somehow less than holy or you're being disobedient because you're not living like a Jew. However, there's a big however here. Remember what we said earlier about the Sabbath, that it is God's design for creation. It's part of its DNA. It's how the universe is created to function. So while it is not a Mosaic man law mandate for us as Gentiles to observe the Sabbath from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday as it is for Jews, I do believe that it is God's best for us to observe the principle of Sabbath rest. Let me say that again. I do believe that it is God's best for us to observe the principle of Sabbath rest. Again, it's his gift to us as human beings, as his creation. It is how creation is ordered and is to function. It is a gift that renews us, refreshes us, recenters us. Do you ever feel like um, life is a treadmill that you're stuck on? You just can't get off of it? 
one week just kind of bleeds into another week, and you work, and you work, and you work, and you work, and you work. You do stuff, you do stuff, you do stuff. And, and the speed and the incline of that treadmill keeps getting greater and greater, leading to greater and greater fatigue and exhaustion. Well, the point of the Sabbath is to get you off the treadmill. God has made provision for you to get off the treadmill, to take a rest and be renewed. And here's the thing. When we reject God's gift of Sabbath, we inevitably experience the consequences. When we reject God's gift of Sabbath, we inevitably experience the consequences. Our relationship with God suffers. Our relationship with our spouses suffers. Our physical bodies suffer. Our minds, our emotions, they suffer. You know, I, I think it's interesting. I, I wonder how much of our anxiety and depression and general overwhelmingness as a culture is due to the rejection of God's gift of Sabbath. Amen. The good news is it doesn't have to be that way. God has given us the gift of intentional rest. The question is, will we intentionally receive and exercise that gift? There, there are a lot of good books that have been written recently about observing the Sabbath. One that I have read I like the title. I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, 24-6 day a week. And we need books like this. Let me tell you why. Because we're not very good at Sabbath. We're not very good at resting. And again, if these books are worth their salt, they're not going to prescribe for you and give you a bunch of rules, but they very well may give you some ideas and some principles about how to rest. And I think there's latitude for each one of us to be intentional about, hey, knowing ourselves and knowing what brings refreshment. How many of you... Um, Back in the day, maybe you grew up in a household where the whole idea of working in a garden, gardening, was like, oh, you don't do that on the Sabbath, right? Anybody grow up in an environment like that where it's like, how many of you gardening is like, that is the most refreshing thing you could possibly do, you know? Um, again, I believe there's latitude. If gardening is a blessing and a refreshment to you on the Sabbath, I, that might be just what God has drawn up for you in regard to Sabbath. But the important thing is if you are going to say yes to an intentional Sabbath day rest, guess what? You're going to have to say no to some other things. And we live in a culture where we have a lot of things prescribed for us by the culture that says you have to do this and this and this and this and this. Next thing you know, week one, you're on the treadmill. One week bleeds into another, which bleeds into another. God has given us this wonderful gift to get off the treadmill for replenishment and renewal. He has given us the very design of creation with Sabbath rest. So what does this have to do with us today? Reject the self-righteousness of legalism. Receive the Jesus righteousness of the gospel. And three, reclaim the God righteousness of Sabbath. If you'd like to have further conversation about how to implement Sabbath rest into your own life, I would love to have that conversation with you. I'm no expert. And again, this is my take. You'll easily be able to find other authors and preachers who see it differently. Um, but hopefully this is helpful to you today. Would you pray with me? Father, forgive us of our self-righteousness, our pride, our judgmentalism. Likely we are more like the Pharisees than we realize. Likely we are very much with a plank in our own eye, discerning a speck in someone else's eye. God, would you please, by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, would you work within us to deal with our planks? 
God, I pray for anyone who is here who is heavily burdened because they've been trying to earn their way to salvation. God, I pray that the gospel would be fresh and anew to them today, that they would understand it is a gift that we receive by faith and not by working hard to earn. And God, for those who are just exhausted because they've been on the treadmill for a long time, would you, by your Spirit's voice, would you give them a gentle nudge and conviction that there's a better way, your way, the Sabbath way. And may they learn whether it's Thursday or Friday or Saturday or whatever, the day doesn't matter, but that, God, they would find a rhythm by which they rest and they become recentered in you. They become renewed. They get off the treadmill that they would make time to be intentional about Sabbath rest. So God, in all these areas, we need your help. Would you show up big, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.